Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Muppet. Yeah! <laughs> Michael Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Let oh. me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow of The Athletic, and we have a lot to discuss with the NBA Finals in full swing. The Lakers, of course, are ahead 3-1. to one. We talk about what we've taken away from the series so far, where things could be going from here, and lessons that front offices around the league can take from how these teams were built, which I thought was an interesting discussion built on some of Seth's great work at The Athletic over these finals and the playoffs more generally. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Use that Podcast One promo code for your sign-up bonus and tell them you came from us. Episode runs a little bit under an hour. I have lots of great stuff in here. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me back. It's It's been not actually that long. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, it, yeah. there was there was a period of time where it was long, and, and now it isn't. And <laughs> I, I think that the place to start is, of course, with the NBA Finals. And you wrote a, uh, an excellent piece for those who subscribe to The Athletic. Definitely read it, even if you didn't then, about Jimmy Butler's performance in Game 3. And we'll, we'll talk about that in some some substance. But then you in that piece, you got into... Okay, well, where is it going to go from here? Which is basically the idea that both of these coaches, I think, have done a very good job in this series of once they get film on something, figuring out another way to handle it. And I had posited, I think it was in game one, about going under more aggressively on Butler because he's such a reluctant three-point shooter. And I thought that Vogel ended up with a very in a, a a really effective solution to that problem yeah uh, i think he, he kind of got there after some stops and starts 
Um, um, in the first half, it was it, it was kind of odd because they made the they they made one change, which was putting Anthony Davis on on Jimmy Butler for for a good portion of the game. Um, uh, someone uh, someone uh, let me know today that he actually guarded Butler for around fifty two percent of 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 the time Butler spent on offense, which is you know just a big amount uh, given the amount of of kind of switching and helping and stuff like that 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 goes on. Uh, but they had they started with Davis on him, but then we're still giving up kind of the same soft switches that they did in the fourth quarter of game three, which was like the worst of all worlds because a you're getting Butler against a lesser defender. And since Davis is kind of chased out to the level of the screen, he's not actually in position to contest at the rim. So they kind of gave some stuff up in the first half. And then the second half, whether it was Davis or uh, LeBron guarding Butler, uh, they just, they really seemed like they made a concerted effort to kind of go under screens and, and meet him on the other side and, and, and keep those, keep their, their main guys matched up on Jimmy Butler instead of giving him looks at, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope or Marquise Morris or whoever. Right. And, and so the challenge functionally at that point is to that you're conceding a shot to Jimmy Butler that he doesn't particularly want to take. And so I'll go through just for that second half, as you brought it up, Butler's shot chart, I think is fascinating. So took four shots in the restricted area, split those. One of those was a block by Davis, took three shots from floater range where he was an absolute monster in game three. He was nine of 12 from floater range in game three, one of three in the second half of game four. And then the only other shots he took, he took three three-pointers. The corner one could have been a huge shot, which ended up just missing. Nothing wrong there from a process standpoint. He took two other threes, both of which missed. And so, yeah, I mean, you see the the overall effect there was that what they were conceding, Jimmy Butler didn't particularly want to take. I, I think so, and... Also, they, in addition to conceding those shots to him, they were not putting themselves in the sort of help and recovery yes, situation that's a great that, point. that that would allow kind of some of the other the Heat's other players to to kind of get going. Um, the Heat, interestingly, haven't really shot the ball that well this series uh, for most of it. Um, but at the same time, they're also not getting uh, the Lakers have an almost two to one advantage in terms of of number of uncontested threes that they're taking in the series and they're making, they're making a higher percentage also. Uh, but, um, Miami is not getting a lot of those looks. And one way to, to stop that is to, you know, contain the, contain the ball. Um, you know, not to get too in the weeds, but part of the reason why, uh, Miami has taken kind of fewer uncontested threes is they have guys who are very willing to take contested threes. And, and, uh, they've actually shot pretty well in those cause they have good shooters on those Duncan Robinson kind of chief among them. Right. And Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, the two guys I thought of when you said that, that are, they're pretty comfortable yeah. taking, taking those shots. And Robinson has a little, bit uh, it's interesting. You say comfortable with Tyler Hero because I kind of, I'm not sure the right way to say this, but he seems almost too comfortable in this series. Um, yeah, it, like I mean, it's a, to he, Miami's detriment. That's an that, that's an interesting an interesting way of thinking about, it, and I think you're right. Um, especially like Hero, because of some of his ridiculous highlights, this happens. I, I think about this a lot in the in the macro sense. Like they're a player, like a young guy has a really good game, and then you remember that longer than the three bad ones that come before the next good one. And Hero, you know, that, I'm not saying that's the ratio for him so far, but he's had some really grisly performances shooting shooting the ball, and a lot of that to me is the shot selection rather than. And I mean, the Lakers' defense has been good, but. He's he takes some just truly jaw dropping shots. 
<laughs> in all senses of the word, including that the, uh, the, the, the rainmaker that, that must have been, you know, 18 feet in the air that, that, that he dropped in over AD. Um, yeah. I, I, the giant it, killer it, over a 15 foot giant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't want to like on some level, like he, he has taken some bad shots in the series cause he takes bad shots. Um, and that's something we've kind of noted since the first time we saw him at summer league is he's, ooh, he's going to take some, some tough shots, but also, uh, with, especially without, uh, uh, you know, without Dragic available and with the, with the Lakers kind of settling on a, on a scheme that at least contains Butler to some degree, um, He's going to end up in a lot of creation situations, and and that's a lot to ask of a of a twenty year old rookie. And he's, um, you know, at times it's done okay, and but more often than not in the half court, it's it's been it it, it looks a little bit like a guy being asked to do too much too soon. Well, so something that kind of follows from that is there are times, I mean, you've talked about this, I think, as well as anybody, where some there are hard shots that somebody has to take. But I think Tyler Hero takes hard shots that don't have to exist more often than, than he should. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I think that is, that is true. Though, again, you wonder where the openings are going to come, come from against this Lakers defense and the, the balance of, of being aggressive and looking for the shots that do present themselves and not going too far. Um, so I don't think that's, I don't think that's an easy thing, but I do think he's probably erring on the side of, of, of difficulty, you know, somewhat too often. Well, and that gets into an interesting point that Nate's brought up a couple of times. We've been doing the live show on all the finals games is that it's very hard for Miami. Once we're guaranteeing it's a half court possession, it's very hard for them to shoot quickly because they just don't generate advantages quickly. And I think that's been a part of the challenge as well is that the Lakers, first of all, they have a lot of capable defenders and the way that they're generating switches and everything else, it's, it's, it can be time consuming. And that means you get, the way I like to think of it is you get fewer bites at the apple other than some of those off ball things that have, that have worked well, but you can't do those all the time. Yeah. And, and I think we saw, uh, Kendrick Nunn had a, had a pretty ugly stat, uh, stat line, uh, in, in game four. And some of that was, was kind of him. Some of that was, he just kind of, he seemed like the guy, the grenade at the end of the shot clock found like on, on several different possessions. Um, and, and, you know, like someone's got to shoot and it just happened to be him. And those are, those are, those were going to be low percentage shots for anybody. Um, and he made a couple of, I but mean, one of, one of those he, he did. was bonkers. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, the, the, the early offense that they can get in the half court is primarily kind of out of, you know, dragage out of bio pick and rolls. And obviously they haven't been able to do that since, uh, really, the first quarter of Game One, uh, when you know that was they they got anything they wanted, um, and some of that was obviously uh, um, uh, against the the Lakers with with uh, their 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 big lineup on the floor, and and I, so I don't know how that would look against kind of the eighty at five, but I think it would give them a better chance to kind of get into some more advantage situations earlier but you know injuries happen and here we are well and and then the other spillover effect that had is it allowed the lakers to shift their game plan so heavily to jimmy butler because miami had to shift their offensive game plan so heavily to jimmy butler so you're probably not having anthony davis guarding in the same fashion because you can't then you need you need more help at the rim you need more help in different circumstances and then having having davis on a player who isn't touching the ball every possession becomes a bigger challenge 
I think that's right. And I, I just I think I think in general, like if they they can attack from multiple angles, then having AD in kind of a center fielder role makes more sense. Whereas if you know where the ball's going to be, um, then okay, just go make Jimmy's life diff- difficult. Well, um, and and, and it's that- and it's interesting because in Miami, you know, like if you want to think about their best lineups when everybody was healthy during these playoffs, there wasn't really a good place for a center fielder to play. You know, like they they were you if you wanted to leave Jay Crowder or Iguodala, sure you can. Like that is something you do. Iguodala notably hit all those threes in game. I think he had four in game six against the Celtics. Where to an extent, I mean, Jalen Brown was helping for a couple different reasons, but one of them was that. And and so having the the heat some at their best, they're not giving you any quarter. They're not giving you any reprieve, and that could have been harder for Davis. I mean, he probably ends up in the primary action then guarding Bam, and that that would work. But then you theoretically could end up having some situations where he's not as impactful for for other kind of side action penetration. Yeah, I think so. Something else that's been fascinating for me in this series, and it's another adjustment from Miami after, I believe that was game two, is they have become so much more aggressive and so much more successful denying when Anthony Davis is trying to get an entry pass, just trying, basically making life hard on him. And this, it gets at something David Locke has discussed and a few other people, which is like, Davis is one of the best complimentary seems like the wrong way to say it, but like non-primary offensive players we've seen in a long time. He's brutally efficient, so effective in transition. And I think at moments in this series, and granted, most teams don't have Miami's personnel. You don't get to play, you know, the the kind of opponent-specific coaching for a seven-game series that often, other than the playoffs. But I think at moments after game two, when AD was completely ridiculous— We've seen how that type of player can be stifled by an effective defense that has a good plan. Yeah, I think that if there's there's one thing you talk about uh, Davis lacking, and this this also by the way holds holds true for for Bam Adebayo, which as he's you know he's rightly gotten a lot of notoriety for in these playoffs, but uh, this is this is true for him uh, even more so than AD is. Um, you know, a, a marvelously efi- efficient high usage player whose one weakness, like over his career and even much of this season, was when he's asked to create a shot with the ball in his hands. Um, now that's something that that you know, in the playoffs has been, uh, especially has been uh, actually he, he's done that extremely well. Um, you know, the degree to which you believe that is his new level or, or it's, you know, six weeks of, of really good play. Um, and as with all things that, that kind of happen in this postseason, I'm sort of reticent to make a call on that because, you know, the, the, the environment is so different than NBA playoff basketball as anyone has experienced it before. Um, but yeah, I think that, that it, long story short, this was a problem uh, that they had in, in in New Orleans. I mean, it goes back to the first playoff series where they they got swept by the the Warriors. Where, if remembering correctly, a couple of the games were competitive, and they kind of swung on the fact that 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 New Orleans couldn't get AD the ball in you know important spots because uh, it, it you can you can do things to deny a, a, a big guy the ball uh, in in good spots if he doesn't have you know. Jokic can 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 create for himself. Dirk Nowitzki can, could create for himself. Uh, AD has not, over his career, typically done that very well. And that's why I thought one of the most important stretches in all of Game Four was towards the end of the fourth. Or sorry, the end of the second quarter. 
AD was on the floor. There was a stretch where he was, I think it was the second. He was on the floor by him without LeBron. And I saw that lineup really stalling out. But what changed what changed that and from, from really negatively affecting the Lakers was that there were a couple of weird fluky fouls that that worked uh, that worked in favor of the Lakers like AD got hit in the face he got there was another one where he got um he got fouled on the floor I think a Linick got him for one and so I thought that the like the first shot defense by Miami was going to be really good in that in that quarter but then it didn't it didn't really end up working out for them but it didn't work out for them in a way that I think is largely unsustainable moving forward yeah, I think there's there, there's kind of a few like in a, in a pretty close game like last night's ended up being there's kind of a few of those those kind of weird breaks that that kind of went Los Angeles's way at at moments. You you kind of alluded to the uh, the you know the, the the Jimmy Butler missed corner three into the, into the KCP made one, which was obviously like pretty pivotal. Uh, but I I almost think of the end of the third quarter, kind of the 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 sort of the botched two for one. That was compounded by the, uh, as, as Nate likes to call it, the over the backbreaker, uh, where AD gets a rebound off of, of a miss with four seconds left in the quarter and the shot clock off, and Bam fouls him and he shoots two free throws in a situation where they were going to struggle to get a, a good shot off, and that's basically two extra points. Well, and not only um, that, but that and, was Bam's fourth. Yeah, yeah, and if you look at the the end of the third quarter for the Lakers. I believe their only yeah their only points for a period of time was were um, Davis made free throws like they were they were stuck at seventy one for a couple minutes after AD made made a three and then they just really really sat on that until he got fouled a couple times once by Iguodala I think that was the one when when AD got hit in the face so I guess it was the third not the not the not the second. <laughs> As of as I was observing last night, uh, you know, shout out to uh, to our friend Chris Herring, who is is now the uh, the the go to for for you know odd happening stories. As, as I as I told him, he needs to write about this. I feel like Anthony Davis has been hit in the face and the eyes, like poked in the eyes, like fifteen times in these playoffs. Am I am I imagining that, or or have we seen just a lot of him like? getting hit in the face and kind of getting up and squinting with one eye. We've seen a lot of it. And also Davis and granted hits to the face are, are a totally reasonable exception to this. It seems like Davis, there is never a time that anything hits him, whether we're talking like a teammate falling or anything else where we don't notice it, you know, like where, cause he, <laughs> you, you see him shake his leg a little bit. You see him move his, move his fingers a little bit. Like that's just the, I think it's just the way he is. But yeah, getting hit in the face is certainly one where it's where it's totally more defensible. Um, yeah, I mean, the only guy who I think got, gets hit in the face as much as him is Goran Dragic, incidentally. <laughs> Although, like Dragic, like does he get hit in the face or has he has he mastered the head snap? Both. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it really, it really, it really does. It really does seem like both. Um, he seems he seems like he gets hit in the face more when he's playing defense. Yes, yeah, because he like I mean, there, <laughs> there's this idea, and Kelly Olynyk got super mad about this in, at one point in Game Four. I believe it was the three shot foul on Markeith Morris that he committed with his face. Like there is this idea that anytime you get hit in the face, it's an offensive foul. No. No, it's not. If your if your if your head is in the wrong place, if your head is like within the natural shooting motion of a player, that doesn't give you wait, car- wait, 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 wait. Are we saying that 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 Marquise Morris' natural shooting motion is brings the ball two feet to the left of his head? Fair, 
Okay, never totally mind. fair. Uh, <laughs> like that's a um, that that is a. Do you think it should like, have been called an offensive foul? Uh, no, I think it should have been a no call. I think it's probably the correct call under the current interpretation of the rules. I think it is the should be the first shot on the on the clip package of what what needs to be reexamined about the you know the protecting shooter airspace landing space rules that have I think gone a little too far. Um, well, especially now that know. and and the clear way of knowing they've gone too far is the way that offensive players have used that to take it to have taken advantage of that and. It'll be hard to push it back the other way, but I agree with you that it should happen. The, pro- the, the problem isn't so much – the problem is going to be writing the rule more than it's going to be actually calling the game. I kind of I, – I, I sort of feel like we know the difference between a guy closing out and two people coming together and a guy sort of being reckless with where his feet are relative to a player's landing spot. Like. Yeah. I'm not sure I could def- verbally define it super well, but it's a uh, it's a classic know it when we see it kind of thing. Plenty more to talk about with Seth, but first a message from Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football's in full swing. The NBA Finals are here, and Major League Baseball playoffs are heating up. Might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Make sure to use that podcast one promo code to tell them that you came from us and to get an awesome sign up bonus you can get in on their season on bet online season opening bonuses today and start off wagering to win division and championship futures today so head to bet online and make sure to check out a great slate of nfl games this week you have raiders and chiefs broncos patriots eagles steelers dolphins niners giants cowboys and viking seahawks included on the slate um so you can check those nba finals baseball playoffs and lots of other great stuff at bet online you're online sportsbook experts let's get back to jimmy butler's game three you wrote that great piece for the athletic about it and one of my one of my favorite stats which is partially jimmy butler's stat and partially maybe heavily a lebron james stat was the <laughs> ridiculousness of the like recent time of possession so so basically tracking data became available in the 13-14 season so if we're talking about the finals the 2014 finals and you mm-hmm. did this stat about Jimmy Butler's time of possession. And the only other player who is even in the like stratosphere of that is one LeBron James. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of that is that's just a, a reflection of, you know, how many finals games LeBron has played over that time period. But then also the fact that he is, you know, a lot of it was from the, the, the 2015 finals when, because the whole team was injured, he, they kind of went, uh, <laughs> Uh, they went basically triple option, you know, and a lot of quarterback keepers on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really very a lot of the I'm doing more for our offense than anyone else games in the finals are very heavily weighted towards LeBron. And there's an odd if you go down the list a little bit more, there's an odd Steph Curry game or something in there. A couple from a possession standpoint, there's a couple Tony Parker games. Uh, but, and then there's, you know, Jimmy Butler <laughs> who had the, like the single highest, uh, stat I've come up with called total usage, which, you know, combined shot at scoring attempts and, uh, playmaking, uh, that was the single highest, like total usage game for a, for one player, um, 
in the last seven finals wow. series. And and yeah. something that you brought up in the pieces, it's not only that it was this incredibly high usage, it's that both Butler individually and the Heat collectively were very efficient. Like you would, a lot of times you'd see that there was the stat about the, you know, the, the 40 point triple doubles and that Butler was the first one whose team actually won the game. But you could also see that a lot of the, and some of it is by circumstance, like the guys who have the ball that ludicrous proportion, like LeBron in 15, it's because nobody else, they don't trust anybody else to do it. And so for Butler to be, efficient himself and for the team to be efficient in his minutes was I mean and I believe they didn't score when he was off the floor other than like a kind of a a a Kelly Olenek free throw which actually occurred when Butler was in the game the foul occurred so like a truly a truly remarkable performance by him and the coaching staff to, to kind of enable that to happen by having so many other players on the team that that the Lakers weren't comfortable leaving so that Butler was able to successfully find the matchup and attack one-on-one without help coming yeah, I think that's right. Um, and also just, you know, the, the the 40 points was because he he had, he's even at times looked like reticent to shoot. How many times does he get to the basket and like reverse pivot out of a shot or get in, get in the air and and kick out or or something as opposed to um, you know, most most players, especially most like, you know, star players they get that shoulder even and get to the basket. They're not doing anything but trying to, you know, score at the bucket. And, you know, it's it, it's funny because you kind of like, oh, Jimmy, shoot that. But at the same time, like the like the unselfishness and uh, vision that he has off of that is part of what is, you know, finding the balance there is is, is tough. And I obviously he did it uh, exceptionally well in. in Game three and game four, I think he maybe overpassed a little. I would agree. And especially because they're teammates now, like you see a little bit of, of Iguodala there. I mean, Iguodala is, is older and is is not the athlete that he once was. But the what the do I really want to take this shot thought that most, as you said, most great players don't really have that. And not that Iguodala is a great player right now, but it is weird to see two of those guys on the same team. Yeah, the... the um the wish you had a slightly more selfish gene at times. It's like the, uh, I wrote earlier in the playoffs that when, when Steve Nash got the Brooklyn job is something that he's, he's talked about. And, and Mike D'Antoni has talked about, uh, in terms of, okay, if we'd have, if we'd have known then what we know now, uh, he would have been a lot more, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but aggressive. a lot more aggressive in terms, in terms of, of looking to get his own. Um, and, and, and so it's, but, it's just it's it is unusual to to see a player of of that ability kind of not <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great point and i've been grappling during these finals partially this is a question that's been asked on the nba cast a couple times but also just like the way that i'm doing it is, is it's inevitable for nba finals for the crowning of a champion especially when it's a new champion which we know it's going to be in this case not only what does that tell you about the league where it is, what does it tell you about where the league might be going? And for me, it looks, I mean, it's a 3-1 lead right now. It looks overwhelmingly like the Lakers are going to be the next NBA champions, but there are, of course, lessons take from the Heat, whether they win the series or lose this individual series. And I'm having trouble articulating, identifying where, like, what the ripple effects of this are going to be. Because, like, for me, the biggest thing, the biggest kind of competitive advantage, the biggest market inefficiency or whatever you want to call it that the Lakers have is having two top 10, or arguably two top five players, makes your team pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
I don't know if there's a, if there's a lesson to be learned there. Like have 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 the best top end talent. That's that's sort of same as it ever was. Um, and the Heat are much more the exception. Um, I think Butler is arguably a top ten player. Um, I mean, he's played he's played like it in these playoffs. I don't know that he's he's like that all the time. But yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, and, and that fi- the finals performance definitely solidified that if we yeah. like that at this moment in time he is. Now, will that continue next year? Who knows. I mean, I think I, I, I think just on on balance, he is on he is not he's he's on the group that is, you know, kind of uh, not, not to tease a forthcoming piece, but what the hell? Uh, he's <laughs> he's sort of he's not that very top tier of of kind of all NBA first team regulars. Uh, he's one cut below that. Right, like, and and so I use uh, the term, the, the phrasing that I've used for a long time is called I call it the him alone test. And so the idea is, if all you knew was that this player was on a team, would you expect, assuming let's say like a reasonable distribution of talent, would you expect them to have a like? Let, you could do different thresholds, but it's like a top half offense, a top half defense, top ten, top ten, and so like. The best of the best have passed that test on one end or both. I, I'm not sure there's anybody necessarily who passes it on both right now. Giannis probably gets the closest if we're talking regular season because, I mean, the defensive part, he absolutely does. And then offensively, probably, especially if we're talking regular season. But with Butler, he's probably one of the best players in the whole NBA right now who fails that test. And that doesn't make him bad. It just means that he succeeds in a different way. Are we? Do we really think that that for the best players that the very like the because you know there's a name out there for if we're talking about does it on one end or the other who is it would be a very controversial pick to put up there is Rudy Gobert like you have you have a top ten defense if you have Rudy Gobert basically yeah uh, and before someone before someone looks up the stats and says oh they were eleventh this year uh, according to Cleaning Glass they were tenth in non garbage time so bam. yes. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so I, but I, I think that, uh, and certainly for, um, playoff impactfulness, I think having the guy who is a driver of offense is probably a little bit more important. So it's, it's like you have a top offense and either it's like absurdly elite book offense because of you, or you're also, you know, bringing, um, at least average level defense. So the, like, like Harden, you have a, you have an excellent offense just by having him, and so he's okay. Fine, he doesn't do anything for you defensively. But that's good enough. And to some extent, uh, Steph also like a, like if it, assuming Steph comes back, like essentially the player we remember him to be. Um, yeah, and know. it's going to be interesting to see how some of the rising young guys. I mean, Luca. When you consider, I mean, I don't know if you know this offhand, but I'm guessing his in, in your new usage that his his role within the Dallas offense, especially when you factor in their success, was remarkable. Oh uh, yeah, I mean he was. I mean he was basically one of the players that that caused me to like to to delve into the the kind of discussion of of uh, of, of heliocentrism as as I like. Apparently, have a term apparently coined, but um, no, he's. I mean, he's one of the very. He was well above fifty percent of of his teams of his teams like chances while he was on the floor came directly through him, um, and that's you know pretty absurd amount. Um, but by the way, by by comparison, Jimmy Butler uh, when he was on the floor um, in Game Three, like sixty two percent of uh, Miami's offensive chances were either shot by him, he turned it over, or he. Uh, passed to the guy who shot or got fouled, uh, which is just a 
bonkers number. Well, and when you consider how much ball movement there often is in Miami's offense, that makes it even more bonkers. But their offense was fundamentally different in Game 3 than it right. is normally, partially by virtue of the talent that was available to them in Game 3 versus normally. Yeah, and I vamped for long enough to be able to pull the stat up. Uh, Luca this year was basically 56% of, of which is, you know. Isn't that, that's really uh, high, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that is, if not the highest, that is the highest in the league. Um, this year, and that's something I probably should have off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, Another time. Yeah, no, that's that. No, that that was uh, that was actually him and Trey Young were were one two in the league this year, in that which is you know they're they're inescapably linked. Uh, LeBron was third, by the way, over the course of the season. Who? Oh, okay, LeBron. that guy. That guy. He's yeah, that, the that guy, guy who's going the guy yeah. who's going to win Finals MVP. And and I, and also I think that the other. Do we care enough to argue about Finals MVP? I, I would say through four games, my personal – if I had a vote, I would vote for Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, no, it's like he was, you know, offensively, he was like what got it done for them in games one and two. And defensively, he um, but it, he was pretty – not just what he did on Butler, but in terms of his ability to deter kind of anything at the rim. Um, he he – uh, on on uh, his his rim contest last night, Miami was was three of nine, thirty three percent, which is a uh, stupid low figure. And they Davis depending on, on yeah, and depending on what shots you're counting, uh, they they only took fourteen or fifteen shots, you know, at the rim with him on the floor, which which worked out to be you know just under a quarter of uh, low twenty shots, which is a uh, so he's both you know. Um, Holding percentage down on shots that were attempted, uh, Miami was only eleven of twenty in the restricted area, uh, and um, you know, and keeping the number of attempts low and keeping the the efficiency on those attempts low. So, and also, you know, making life very difficult for Jimmy Butler. So, it's a pretty good game. And the maybe the takeaway of this Lakers team should they win the championship as expected is actually something that reinforced. Wait, nobody expected this as expected. <laughs> After game one, when everybody no, was hurt. No, I, um, I, yeah. I, I kid. I mean, I, kid. I had them. I thought they were the third most likely champion of the three teams I had in tier one, yeah. going into going I, into everything. Yeah, I, I, you know, I got I got some flack because I, I didn't have them especially high in in where I thought they would finish in the regular season standings because uh, I didn't I didn't really think they'd care so, as much as they did about the regular season. With like, their this defense was, was so be. much better than I anticipated by yeah, virtue of caring. I mean, yeah, by virtue of getting and that's and that this is the first season that LeBron has sort of and this is not intended as a knock, by the way. You go to eight straight finals, like you've earned the right to, you know, to pick your spots in the regular season. So it's not a knock to say that it's been several years since he's been routinely engaged on defense in, in regular season settings. Um, yeah, like even the year so, the year that he played all eighty two games for the Cavs to prove a point, he wasn't engaged in defense like this. He was just playing in every game. Yeah. I mean it's it's I mean since first or second year with the Heat, I would say, uh, where he got this much so so to the extent that, you know, that is not what I expected. They were better in the regular season, but then I, you always expected that in in the playoffs. So what I'm saying is, like, it's not surprising at all that a team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James is likely going to win a win a title. Right. Like, but- if you have if you have those two players, um, you know, you've I don't want to say you've done something wrong because like the Clippers are really good too. So if they hadn't if they had, hadn't made the finals, it wouldn't have been. I don't know. They would have taken it as a disaster, but it wouldn't have been some like mammoth upset or something like that. Right. 
Uh, but so where I was going with the LeBron AD thing is that it is also intensely beneficial to have stars that don't have as clear of weaknesses. You know, like Anthony Davis, part of what always made him so fascinating to me, and I've been, you know, like going back to like, I wrote a real GM piece, I would be able to piece the year, but I think it was 12 or 13, to arguing that he should, basically that he should sign the the qualifying offer and become an unrestricted free agent. It's basically like, I thought he was going to be trapped in New Orleans forever. Partially ended up being correct, though they did have better success after that point than I expected. Partially attributable to him, of course. Uh, but so with Davis, he is. That's part of what makes him what makes him so special is that, especially now with the ridiculousness, whether it sustains or not, of his shooting, is that yes, there are limitations due to him being a more dependent player offensively, but there isn't really a way to put him into difficulty other than asking him to create everything for himself. Right. And, you know, that that has been solved a little bit in these. I don't know, solved that. That has not been an issue in these playoffs um, kind of uh, due to his play in, in, in no small part. Um, but and that's but with a team, if you have LeBron on it, like you're the ball is going to find him in situations where he can finish a lot. Yes. So it, it, it you know, it, it's reductive and perhaps diminishing to call him a, a complimentary player but he is you know because of that 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 ball in hands kind of stuff he is one of the you know the most elite i guess i'll just say it complimentary players that we've seen in a long long time maybe ever and my so so to me the more interesting question is what if anything do and let's phrase this in terms of a other general managers, so general managers of completely different teams, what do they take away from the Heat's success this year? And I think some of it might be taking away the wrong lessons, like, oh, yeah, you can win a title without having a top 10 player or like like kind of unreasonable expectations while not appreciating what makes this Miami team in particular so special. Oh, sorry, I was muted there. Can you can you ask that again? I, That's fine. I, I got somewhere so with the answer. And I... Basically, it was positing that this Miami team is very unusual. Basically, teams will take the lesson from this that, that, it, that oh, you can win without like having an elite player. You can make the NBA Finals and all that. But this, that, that kind of diminishes what makes this Heat team truly special and hard to replicate. Um, I think that, that this Heat team, just from a construction standpoint, is actually not maybe, maybe a level down, but is not terribly dissimilar from the, uh, the, the last Spurs title team. Um, that was, you know, that was, um, you know, obviously Duncan on that team and Adebayo on this team are going in opposite directions due to age. Um, but I think probably reasonably similar level players. Uh, similarly, like Kawhi wasn't yet that top level player. And, and, and you know, again, Butler is mid-career instead of early in his career. But is, is, Parker. That's yeah. really interesting because it's so hard with those two teams in particular to separate out what they were at that exact moment in time from what they were at any other moment in time. But I think you that is an interesting idea. And it's it's a lot of and, – and, and the similarity is, is really, again, it's not having uh, – and this is hard to do to put together just the number of kind of high-end – you know, without having this, having the single top end piece, just because of of uh, both salary cap rules and and you know, fitting guys together so that they can all be as productive as you need to be. Like getting a, a team that has, you know, five, six, seven, eight productive, like highly productive guys, um, is it's it, it's it's 
pretty unusual. Um, and and so they have managed uh, to do that by virtue of kind of 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 finding and, and turning a guy like Duncan Robinson into a very high end role player, uh, trading for Iguodala in kind of a um, you know uh, it, it, it not a, I don't not as fire sale, but a but a uh, a leverage situation. Um, you know, Adebayo growing into what what he's growing into. Hero being, uh, in large part, Ben Taylor has made this point a few times. Like he's he's literally not a rookie now because he's had his he's he's basically had his first summer of development. Um, you know, uh, resurgence on 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 Dragic. Uh, um, you know, there's a there's a lot of a lot of goodness there um, without necessarily there being a, like that top end greatness. And I I know that sounds diminishing of like. Butler and Adebayo in particular, but you get super like you know talking about greatness. You're talking about LeBron and Kawhi and and pre-injury KD and Giannis and and you know and I don't, it's, I, I don't think it's a slight to say not quite right. And I think the other thing, and this was true for me to an extent with the Raptors championship, is the intense benefit of doing a lot of the smaller things right in team building. Like the way Miami uses their G League team, the value that they've been able to get for undrafted guys or, you know, like or players that were largely, you know, like underappreciated or late lottery picks or like uh, th- that it's not an easy model to replicate, but it is but it but a lot of the kind of the the factors that have led Miami to success, those are those are aspirational goals in terms of how you run an NBA team because getting those advantages on the margins, sometimes those create the advantages of being able to add Jimmy Butler to a team that had a lot of capable players on it without having to give up a ton, though Miami has been more aggressive giving up first round picks than some other things, and it's not like they like, I mean, there's been some interesting revisionism for me that has largely o- overlooked the disaster that was their 2017 offseason. And I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. But that the but Miami as an overall organization, they do such an unbelievably good job of a lot of those smaller, like organizational elements that are truly essential. Yeah, no, I think um I was I was on I was on somebody's podcast earlier this week, and we were talking about we were we were talking about um, you know the difficulty in 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 getting all those things right. Okay, it's hard. Of course, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Um, but when you talk about you know organizational culture, it, it is getting all those things right. It's it's having a great player development program. It's it's having some accountability from on on a you know a conditioning program. It's it's knowing that the the coach is law but the coach also having the empathy to you know not use that as a hammer but you know you use both the carrot and the stick um you know so so yeah Miami's had to get a lot right even when they've they've had some periods of getting some things wrong um but there's a lot to be aspirational about from other teams, and and yeah, I think you, you're correct to notice that to note the commonalities with Toronto because I think you know for making a short list of the kind of best run organizations in the league, uh, those two teams are on it, right? Yeah, and they're, then they're pretty pretty damn high on it to be sure. 
I'll I'll let you go because I know you and I can go on forever with a, a very like an open ended question that I don't want you to take forever, which is basically because we could we've written a lot we've already you and I have already spilled a lot of digital ink on this topic, including collaborative pieces. Of is there anything in particular, just thinking of it in the abstract, that you're really intrigued by looking forward to in the twenty the super weird twenty twenty off season? Oh man, I don't even know how to answer that yet because what are the rules? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, I, I so I um no, no go I, ahead. I, like r- rules aside, like I'm gonna be interested to see how much teams index on the bubble, like both from how players played, but also stylistically. Um, like I think that this is gonna be this year for. I feel like the trend has been for playoff basketball to diverge more from regular season play year on year. Although uh, I've had, I actually had someone with it, with a team uh, tell me they thought it was, that was more like regular season basketball is becoming more bland rather than playoffs are becoming more complicated. And there might be something to that. Um, But the difference between, between like the two games is, is widening anyway. And then how much of that, was this year being weird because of the timing, because of the bubble, whatever, or is that just what is, is that the game that, that you're building towards and, and figuring out, seeing how teams, you know, navigate towards that is going to be something kind of a meta, uh, a meta game consideration that I'm going to be fascinated to watch. That's a great one. And then my one for kind of after that. So this is really going to be something that we won't see until preseason and next season, whenever that occurs is you brought up the idea Ben Taylor's type has about how the like Tyler Hero has already had an offseason. It's entirely possible that the time between these finals and next season is broadly in line. Like I was we were talking about this on on the live show at one point that the the time between when the playoffs started in the bubble and next season might be about right for a normal offseason. So are we going to see that level of development for some of these guys again and is it how is that spread equally? Is is there a, is there a bubble divergence? Is there actually like an inefficiency of scale for these guys that have basically been off for a year? I, so I'm absolutely fascinated. I just thought bubble divergence was was, was a funny turn of phrase. <laughs> it's a you know, the great band name, right? Yeah, um, or or like a YA <laughs> novel. Oh man, I, I feel like that. I feel like that's mashing two YA series together. Like isn't one divert? Never mind. You wouldn't. Know. Not, uh, not, you not exactly uh, my forte, though. I do believe divergent yeah. is one. Yeah, they made movies out of it or something. Yes. Anyway. Well, on that note, <laughs> th- <laughs> thank you so let's, much for let's t- diverge from this uh, this podcast. And, yeah, and yeah. Thank you so much for taking time. Pleasure as always. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Seth for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. He also does really good analysis during games using the real-time section of the app. If you are unfamiliar with that, you should definitely check it out. I've been doing some analysis there, too, when I have the chance. Not during games, because I'm doing the NBA cast, but otherwise. And you can listen to him on Nerder She Wrote and many other great podcast appearances, and that's a great reason to follow Seth on Twitter, at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H. P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on. And there is a distinct chance that there will be a newly crowned NBA champion by the next Real GM Radio. So I'm guessing my next episode will relate to that, but I don't know the guest or anything like that. So you can keep an eye there. And that's a great reason to 
subscribe and download every episode. Subscriptions, it's great for this show because you never know when it's going to pop in. It just depends on my availability and my guests. So you can do that in whatever podcast player you're choosing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever. Word of mouth, extremely important. Specific episode, show in general, if you think other people are going to like it, tell them about it. Even a show like this that's been around for a long time. And the other great way to help people find the show is leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player you're choosing. It really can help change people's minds. It can help get people interested. And then the single most important thing you can do for this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for us that is our friends at bet online use the podcast one promo code to tell them you came from us so many great things going on there both with the nba getting close to this form of completion but also they've got great nfl stuff if you're into that baseball playoffs are going on all that's there i already talked about it earlier Plenty going on for me outside of this as well. Dunked on Prime, still going strong, uh, doing game analysis as you would expect, but also starting our off-season preview series because that's coming on really soon. We did our kind of our free agency previews. Those are out. Those are all public as well. And the public dunked ons, those come out on Sunday night, Monday morning. And then we're also getting back into draft scouts. We did Obi Toppin last week. We're actually doing Tyrese Halliburton on Thursday. So you can check that out. And that might be a part of the public episode. We'll have to see. But it'll definitely be dunked on Prime for sure. Also, Nate and I are doing the NBA cast for every game of the NBA Finals, however far it goes, which is really exciting. Love doing it. And you can read my work at The Athletic. I actually have basically all of the off-season previews done, I ha- including for the two finalists. I just have to adjust it based on who, you know, wins the championship. And they'll, those will be coming out over the next couple weeks, and that has opened up my ability to do other things. So I have some fun collaborative work, and I'm working on a few solo pieces as well, so you can look for that in the near future. And hopefully, if you're subscribing for Seth's great work, and hopefully some of mine too, that, that is much appreciated, and of course, all other sports too. So Real GM Radio will definitely be back next week. I think we have a pretty good idea of what the discussion will be, but I don't know with whom, and that's a great reason to subscribe. So if you have any insight, good, bad, or indifferent, any input... NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I will try to respond, but I don't make a promise there. I'm busy. But I read everything before I go to bed each night. It goes to a separate folder in my inbox. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.